All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome to the Daily Faceoff Show, your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis, live every weekday at noon Eastern. Welcome into the Daily Faceoff Show. It is Friday, May 27th. It's day 26 of the Stanley Cup playoffs and Mike McKenna, the Battle of Alberta never ever ever disappoints. What a game. What a series. They packed a lot into just five games, 45 goals, and no shortage of chaos. I am jealous that you were there to see it firsthand. Now, listen, I've gotten a front row seat to Colorado St. Louis in my backyard here. There's something special about what you got to witness being there for the Battle of Alberta, everything going on, taking place outside. So let's get right to it, man. What a series it was. Yeah, and you know what? I've covered, I don't know, in excess of a 1,000 NHL games in person, and that was in the top five best games I've ever seen uh, live and in the building. There were so many things happening. Let's throw two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock, and let's talk about those Edmonton Oilers who have advanced to their first Western Conference final since 2006. We talked so much about the stars needing to be the stars, and on a night where Connor McDonald admittedly doesn't quite have it. He said he was trying to find his legs and he wasn't quite at peak McDavid mode. Leon Dreisaitl picks him up with a monster four-point night, three primary assists, including an excellent play on the overtime winner to feed McDavid through a seam who beats Jacob Markstrom, who finished the series with an 852 save percentage. And Mike, when you look at this series, it's kind of a fun question to answer. Who was the Oilers' MVP? Was it McDavid? Was it Dreisaitl? 
You could probably even make a case for Zach Hyman and the clutch goals that he scored. How about Evander Kane? I mean, the list of options is kind of endless. Oh, it is. I mean, and if you look at last night's game, I think Zach Hyman was the best player on the ice. That was his show. And I love how he's become the human backboard standing off next to the post on the power play and in zone. Uh, he's got Dreisaitl and McDavid shooting at him on purpose to try to deflect pucks in. But uh, you, you just look at the output of Dreisaitl in this series and McDavid. Like, look at Dreisaitl. He, he's playing on one leg and he has 15 assists. Like, seriously? Like, that's that's incredible. So um, I, I think it's probably Dreisaitl in the series. but. The whole point of it is it's the depth of the Oilers that's got them going. And like, Frank, they're so resilient, man. They got down 2 nothing to the Flames last night and didn't phase them. Like, I feel like Woodcroft has an ability to speak to his players to keep them in the right mind frame that if they just stick to their system, they're going to be fine. And even a night, like McDavid said, where he didn't feel like he really had it, he still made such a difference over 200 feet of the ice. And we couldn't say that two years ago about Connor McDavid. So... You look at that and you look at the fact that Edmonton scored four of their five goals at even strength, Frank. This is a team playing at a really high level right now. This wasn't a fluke that they beat the Flames. Nope. And they were certainly uh, a team that was emotionally in control in what was a very emotional series. You know, you mentioned down to nothing game five. Honestly, you almost felt like the Oilers felt like they had the Flames right where they wanted them. Calgary Blue. Two goal leads in all three of their home games. And no matter how far ahead Calgary got in this series, what impressed me most about the Oilers and their effort night in and night out was that they were able to wrestle control back. If Calgary had it, it wasn't mm -hmm. ever for very long. And even as the Flames walked out of the building after a 9-6 win in game one, they weren't feeling that great about themselves because Edmonton was able to get back in and reassert themselves. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that's the biggest thing for me is that Edmonton wilted in previous years and they'd get down a couple goals. It'd be over. You could see that the maturity wasn't there right now. I think Edmonton looks like a really mature team. It's certainly been interesting to watch because they weren't really a mature team. You saw firsthand in that first round series against the Los Angeles Kings. They had mm -hmm. a couple opportunities to put that series away and didn't and made it a lot harder on themselves Consider it some lessons learned. Consider it the frustrations and failures of playoff past that have helped the Oilers get over the hump. Connor McDavid and company now in the final four. They'll play the winner of the Colorado Avalanche and St. Louis Blues. And Mike, that brings us to the Flames. It was, you know, certainly um, a disappointing end to their season. I think if you had told Calgary fans heading into the year after a non-playoff year, that they'd win the Pacific Division and win their first round since 2015, everyone would be excited and say, great season. To lose four straight to the arch-rival Edmonton Oilers, to lose in that fashion, to have the question marks that surround your star players pop up yet again. Where was Matthew Kachuk in round two? Johnny Gaudreau got awful quiet. No offense to Michael Backlund, but he was their best player throughout round two, and that probably shouldn't be the case. Jacob Markstrom couldn't make a save. I thought at some point in game five, he probably deserved to be pulled, Mike, for the goals that had gone in all series long. When you look at this Flames team and a summer in flux, Johnny Gaudreau pending unrestricted free agent, Matthew Kachuk, Andrew Mangiapane, Oliver Shillington, all restricted free agents, half of their blue line free agents going to be a summer of change or is it going to be mostly the same team that comes back in your mind, Mike, what would you do? Well, 
I'm, I'm a little bit split here because I think when you look at the core pieces to the Calgary Flames that have provided so much success, they need new contracts across the board. I mean, you're looking at Goudreau, Kachuk, Mangiapane. Those are big, big pieces. Okay. And if I'm Brad Tree living the GM of Calgary, I'm trying to retain everybody, but it's going to take buy-in from those players. Like, I think those players all have to look at each other and say, hey, we were pretty good this year. We were really good. We need to take another step. And if we all go separate ways, we may not be able to get that. We don't know what's out there. So I think it's first upon the players that they want to be in Calgary to begin with. But I also think about Calgary maybe needing to speed up a little bit. Like I, at times to me, it felt like only the top two lines of Calgary could keep pace with Edmonton, and that wasn't enough. And if you're going to face Edmonton in the playoffs, you got to be ready for that. And you would, it wasn't going to get any better against Colorado either. So um, I think Tree Living's got a little bit of work to massage this lineup. And I think even especially on the back end, you look at how different the Flames were with Tanev out, somebody who can skate pretty well. I, I think they're going to have to fill that void as well. But I will say this, Frank, Markstrom had a fantastic year. I thought they played him too much during the season. Could have dialed that back a little bit and given him some energy. And I'm not sure he was at 100% in playoffs. Regardless, you are right. He has room to grow. Uh, and they're going to expect more out of him next season in playoffs, hoping that they get there. It's funny you said that because Jay Woodcroft kept hinting and picking at it. 63 games for, you know, we didn't play our goalie 63 games, but I didn't yeah. feel like Jacob Markstrom was tired or, or was suffering from fatigue. It, you know, it looked to me like a team that had his number. Um, one other thing to point out, this was the best roster that Brad Tree Living has built in Calgary. They went out, they were aggressive at the deadline, made some significant acquisitions, and maybe one of the other facets of their exit here in round two in the Battle of Alberta is the fact that some of those guys really didn't show up in critical moments. Tyler Toffoli, mm -hmm. you could make the argument, was the Flames' worst player in round two. So many uncharacteristic turnovers and giveaways for a really smart player. Um, you know, Kelly Yarncroke scored in game five, but really was kind of quiet. It was his first goal as a Flame um, you know, his first goal in 29 games. So, you know, they were aggressive. I liked the fact that they went out to go and try and chase it this year in a year with so many question marks at the end of it. We'll have plenty of time to talk next week and beyond about the Calgary Flames and what's going to be a fascinating summer. Mike, let's yeah. talk about the Colorado Avalanche and their opportunity to advance in game six on Friday night in St. Louis. You'll be in the house in your hometown as the Blues try and Stave off elimination again and force a game seven. Can they do it? I think so. I wouldn't bank on it because to me, it's really a race to four goals. And when you look at how strong McKinnon and his line played, even in the loss in game five, that's going to be a lot to handle if Ryan O'Reilly can't continue to contain him because McKinnon broke the code on O'Reilly last game. It was the first time he had yet. But I think for the Blues, it's just going to take playing their game, not counterpunching against Colorado. And in the third period, they were able to do that in game five. Colorado sat back. And you look at for this series for me, Frank, and it comes down to the second and third lines. I think the first lines have largely canceled one another with the exception of game five. Robert Thomas showed up for the Blues. Two goals, six shots on goal. He made a difference for the first time in the series. And then you look at the Kadri line for Colorado, and man, it was minuses across the board. Kadri, Nachushkin, they were not strong in game five. And they had been previously. So I, I really look to the depth of both of these clubs um, as the X factor in the series because Power plays, hey, both these teams can score. Top lines, they're both so good that at any point they can break out. Those second and third lines are really going to be it for me, Frank. 
how do they get more from Billy Huso? Like that to me is one thing that looms large. You know, they were kind of able to overcome that and he had given up some goals in big moments as well. You know, not going to fault him on some of those all world Nathan McKinnon, you know, plays and, and some of the magic that he brought to the ice, but he really has not been sharp all playoffs and, and they really need him to be now. Here's where I think it made a big difference for Huso. I thought he was good last game. I thought he kept the team in it, kept St. Louis in it for the first half. He made one save on Josh Manson going right to left. That was massive on a two-on-one shorthanded midway through the first period. And to me, that was a big-time adrenaline rush for Huso. And, and I look at that moment and think, can he harness that? Can he harness the good vibes that he gets out of just one save? Because I've felt it before, Frank. Like Sometimes you make one critical moment save and you're just like, I can't lose. And I'm hoping that's the case. Technically, Huso's got to skate. There's been times, like you said, where he's looked overwhelmed. To me, that means he stops moving. He doesn't make the little three to four inch adjustment as people are coming towards him, leaving him off angle, and they've been able and Colorado's been able to expose that. So do the Blues force game seven, yes or no? I don't think so. <laughs> I think Colorado is just okay. If Colorado would have played their game for three periods in game five, it was over. Colorado basically quit playing and St. Louis took advantage of it. So Colorado has been better in the series. Uh, I expect them to win tonight, but I'd sure love to see game seven. Okay. So let's go to the other series. That's going to take place again. Uh, game six on Saturday night. That is the Carolina Hurricanes visiting the New York Rangers. Do they find a way to force game seven in New York? Something's got to give here at some point for the Hurricanes, who looked a lot better in game five. No shock, Mike, on home ice, where they remain undefeated this year, 7-0. and And I guess technically, if you think about it, they could advance to the Stanley Cup final just by virtue of winning all of their home games. Not that I think the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to be scared about any building they play in a team that uh, won a Stanley Cup in a bubble. But when you think about the way the Hurricanes played in game five, can they replicate that on the road? And why haven't they been able to? Well, I think when we ask the question, can New York take it to seven? Of course they can. They've got Igor Shosturkin and Nut. That's your X factor. He's been phenomenal. He's been a phenomenal all season long. He can steal. But I look at last night's game for Carolina and how different they look. And it was home, right? Okay, they play way harder at home for whatever reason. They're, they hit, they're more engaged. I don't understand why that's the case. It just is. But the intangibles that Colorado, that Carolina needed to improve their overall game for the whole series were there. Trochik, way better. Grabs a goal, finally gets... I mean, he hadn't had a point in six games, man. Like, you needed that. Tara Vinen's on the board. He'd had a rough series. And more than anything, Frank, the power play showed up for Carolina. Now, we haven't seen it on the road yet, but I think if you accumulate all the good things that happened in Game 5 for Carolina, you would think that transfers over into MSG for Game 6. But it hasn't yet, and I don't know why that's the case. But you know that the Rangers are going to come out and have plenty of motivation to bounce back after their worst game of the series. They weren't strong in 5. They weren't able to get any type of possession. And you look at their best players, Chris Kreider, goal in five games. You need more. Panarin, two assists in the series. You need more. The Rangers have to compete, and their best players have to get going. Yep, Ray Ferraro joined us today on the DFO Rundown. He's been between the benches for every game of this Carolina and Rangers series. And he said, the only guy on the Rangers that's really consistently been in the fight every night has been Mika Zibanejad. He's been around it. Mm -hmm. He's been close to it. 
and he could sure use some help in game six to try and force a game seven. I just wonder if at this point now, given how long this has gone on, is the Carolina road thing in the Hurricanes' heads? It's, it's something. I, I, I can't figure it out. I wish I had answers for this one. Neither can Rob Brindamore. Right. I mean, he, he, it's, it's almost unfathomable how much more engaged Carolina looks at home. Um, but like I say, the things that happened in game five to me gave me the impression that game six should be better for Carolina if they can continue doing those things, especially the power play, Frank. If they can get some power play looks in MSG tomorrow, that's going to make a big difference. Yeah, special teams much better for the Carolina Hurricanes in Game 5. Let's get some Stanley Cup playoff coaching insights from our friend John Goins. Pleased to welcome back to the Daily Faceoff show our playoff contributor, John Goins, who has 28 years of coaching experience and has worked closely with NHL teams and NHL players on the development and skill side. This segment of Coaching Insights is brought to you by DoorDash. John, when you take a look at Game 5, in which the St. Louis Blues were able to overcome some Nathan McKinnon magic, particularly after the hat trick, how do you think they harnessed their playoff experience, having somewhat recently won a cup in 2019, a lot of the same players still there, to regroup while the fans at, uh, and staff at Ball Arena were collecting those hats? Well, I think while they're collecting the hats, I think everybody's already looking forward to the conference final. I think uh, that's been this, this getting over the hump of the first round for some teams, getting over the second round for Colorado. I think scoring this goal and the hats raining down, I think if anyone... I know this might sound strange. I think if anyone else scores that goal for Colorado, you don't have almost, I, I timed it actually today, almost a five minute gap between the time where they would have normally lined up for this face off and when they did drop the puck because they had to clean up all the hats. So this gives St. Louis an added timeout, an added moment to just take that deep breath and go, We've been in these types of situations before. All right, let's get uh, let's get the coach to pull out the board. Let's drop a plan. Now look at the poise here by Falk to keep that puck in on a bouncing puck. Not only did he block Landeskog from scoring an empty netter, and then they execute to perfection a triangle right here at the goal mouth, and boom, it's in the back of the net. And I think that that hat-trick goal, oddly enough, had it been scored by anyone else, I think it puts more pressure on St. Louis to react. And in this case, it actually gave them a little bit more time to breathe. And with that championship pedigree, they were able to kind of settle it down. Yeah, and credit to Steve Ott, assistant coach of the St. Louis Blues, who's in charge of those six on fives power plays coming up with the look for it. And I think you're right. The Blues really did settle back. Let's flip it to the Battle of Alberta. And, you know, this whole series to me, really, it looked like, from game one, even in the track meet of a game, 9-6, the Flames just forgot their identity and they were never able to find it the rest of the series. What do you think caused that to happen to Calgary? Well, they decided to get into a track meet. I mean, you could see we're going to we're going to see some clips here where, first of all, Calgary during the year at five on five gave up the, mo uh, the least amount of goals off the rush. Watch Anderson pass Kachuk off this rush. Boom, three on one. 
You know, you, you cannot be getting into a track meet. Even if Connor McDavid and Dreisaitl and Kane are on the ice, you can't afford to do that. Here you've got control of the play. You don't really have an F3. Then you do, and he stands still versus one of the best players in the, in, in the league. You get a defenseman pinching outside dots. Kachuk doesn't have time to get back against Kane. So all these goals coming off the rush because guys are just like, we're going to try and outscore them. And here, dump in. Smith plays the puck. We all know his abilities to play the puck. Zadora gets caught, uh, gets caught sleeping. His partner gets caught sleeping. Dreisaitl came on late on a change. And I think that there was a, a combination of, hey, let's try to you know, ramp it up and have four-man rushes all the time. What a lack of awareness of who was on the ice too often. Alex, if we could play that clip again quickly of Smith uh, knocking that puck down behind the net. John, how pivotal do you think Smith was? Calgary was known all season long for their uh, ferocious forecheck, and they weren't able really to get it going in part due to what Smith was able to do behind the net. Anytime you could have a goalie, even if it's not the big long saucer, alleviate this kind of pressure, look what it does. One quick rim, one quick goalie touch, as we say, and boom, it beats basically three forechecking forwards who weren't taking away the strong side wall. And then boom, it's it's out the other way. And when you have a goalie, it doesn't matter if they could sauce it like Carey Price or, or like what we saw for Shesterkin against Pittsburgh. It's when they can alleviate that initial pressure of having to face the glass while you try to touch the puck as a defenseman. It is a game changer. Yeah, Smith is like having a third defenseman out there. And I'm amazed. And Mike, you'll appreciate this too. His mm -hmm. ability, even when pucks are on the glass, to knock them down, he's he's sublime at doing that. And I think really helped the Edmonton Oilers against that Calgary forecheck. So, John, when you look at the Flames and the way that they defended, so much focus and talk about McDavid and and really just how special he was. Did they make any tactical errors in in the clips that you saw and the goals that you saw in terms of trying to defend McDavid? Or at this point, is do coaches just not have an answer? Is he unstoppable? Well, I guess it would be easy here to try to pretend like I have all the answers, but the guy say he's in video game mode, and most people are just you know mere mortals. Uh, he he's going to change things on people all the time here. However, you cannot be guessing. You cannot leave the best player in the world by himself. There's such a lack of awareness here in terms of. Who is on the ice? There, you, there can't be any surprises at this time of the year. There really can't, or, nor at this level. Um, I think there's one thing that when he doesn't have the puck, and I have talked to coaches that have had to game plan against him, is when he doesn't have the puck, is that you kind of bump him a little bit. We're not talking about interference. You kind of skate in his lane a little bit. You, you, but you cannot, if, if you're late to gapping up, if you're late to trying to get physical with him, you're really going to be late and you're going to pay the price. The Dorof tries to step up instead of maybe contain and he gets beat for it. Why? Because does he think that because he's a big man that McDavid's not going to be able to handle him? That is, he has proven everybody wrong. He, he uses that almost Jagger-like, Forsberg-like, I'll show you my backside, my hip, protect the puck, and I'll keep moving. And if you're late to those types of step-ups, he's going to make you pay. And we're going to see on this last goal. I mean, who else is going to end the Battle of Alberta but Connor McDavid? And it doesn't come from a fancy zone entry. It comes from a forecheck. 
It comes from a lack of awareness of who's got who between Hannafin and Lindblom right here. And again, we're leaving the best player in the world in the house wide open. So I think there was a combination here of sometimes maybe having gotten into this track meet, maybe wore, wore them down a little bit because I feel that there were too many times that they were either late to bump so then they were stepping up and getting pulled out of position. And at other times, there was just a clear lack of awareness that 97 was on the ice. So I want to show that Battle of Alberta OT winner one last time because there's been lots of consternation today, John, about the role of Johnny Gaudreau on that play. You see him slide up to the point. He doesn't end up pressuring Dreisaitl. Who, what was Gaudreau's responsibility in your mind here? Well, I, I think, you know, there's all the X's and O's that you could talk about in the world, but when you have an instinct and you're stick length away from a play, you cannot be saying, oh, that's not my guy, you know, because the way it was drawn up on the board, that's not my guy. I think this is where we've got to get players to realize that you can have a structure and game fundamentals that your team has put in place, but if you don't allow yourself to play with instincts, who, who wouldn't go after that puck defensively? Who wouldn't put that pressure or at least press that guy up against the boards? So I think here, either Gojo fell trapped to the X's and O's of saying, hey, someone's supposed to fill in and then I'm supposed to take away the point. I think he allowed himself to fall into that X's and O's trap and should have just gone with pure instincts that would have said 99% of the time, you press that guy up against the wall. John, yeah, I agree with you. I think that's why things. I really look at that as but, why Lindholm especially got kind of goofed up there. It looked like as soon as Goudreau peeled off from a defensive standpoint, the flames just went into <laughs> overload, didn't know where to go. That's why Lindholm let McDavid be open in the slot and it all from, from Goudreau turning off there. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's going to be interesting to see if that ends up being Johnny Goudreau's last sequence as a Calgary Flame. I can tell you uh, being in Calgary this morning, it's what a lot of people are talking about is is him peeling off the wall, having a chance to maybe get a stick, make, maybe force a little turnover on Leon Dreisaitl, or at least make life a little bit more difficult for him. In that sequence, going to be lots of questions to answer in Calgary, both today and in the offseason to follow. The coaching insights today from John Goins, absolutely fantastic. Great job getting those clips together. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been... Uh, coaching insights delivered by DoorDash. You see the promo codes there at the bottom of your screen. DFODD if you're in Canada. DFODDUS if you're in the United States. That gets you 25% off and free delivery on your first order. Don't be like me. Don't get it delivered to your room while you're writing after the game because you wake up in the morning filled with regret. <laughs> All right, Mike, it's time for our Daily Faceoff inbox question of the day. Hashtag ask DFO. And it's the question, aside from the one about Johnny Gaudreau and that sequence is, should that goal by Blake Coleman have counted? Why did that goal get reversed? Right call or wrong call? I think by the definition of the puck being kicked in, it should have been called back, and it was because you look at Coleman's heel as it moves forward from the overhead view right here. That little motion forward to me, he may not look like Ray Finkel kicking a field goal, 
but it's still distinct that he's kicking forward with his heel. But it's so minute, Frank, that I'm actually surprised they allow this to stand. I've seen it go different ways, but the only thing that matters in this instance is the one play. It is this one review. And to me, I think Coleman's heel goes forward enough for that to be deemed a distinct kicking motion. See, I disagree with you here. I think this was the wrong call. Um, I, there's nothing in the rule book that says you're not allowed to, you're, to drag your foot and, and redirect the puck. That's good all day long. I didn't see anything distinct. I didn't see any motion. And, and it's this one angle here that I think might be most convincing, the sort of back overhead angle that you can kind of see his leg swing out a little bit there. But even mm-hmm. so, I just don't know that it's it's conclusive enough to say, you know what, that's definitely a distinct kicking motion. I would think that with that circumstance in, you know, the Flames going up late in the third period, trying to stave off elimination of the refs and, and the situation room, we've seen this previously – they say, you know what, we're not gonna we're not gonna get involved here. We don't see anything conclusive. We're gonna let the teams on the ice decide this one. And in this case, you know, there would have been controversy either way, I think, you know, whether it was a goal or not. But I just, you know, I don't know. I guess maybe in the end it doesn't matter. Maybe that's Mike what Daryl Sutter was like, he literally was going through the explanation and just said, whatever. Because yeah. I think in the end the best team ended up winning this series. The right team ended up winning this series based on how the Edmonton Oilers handled everything that the Calgary Flames threw at them. I agree with you. Calgary had another five minutes. They had all overtime to win the game. They didn't do it. And like, Frank, I, I think it was the right call, but I, I absolutely am surprised that that call was made. That's the best way for me to yeah. put it. Yeah. Um, let's get to our daily face-off, daily bet segment. Tyler Remchuk. You and I were riding a bit together on the Connor McDavid uh, yeah, we were. get a goal in game five, and uh, it certainly worked out in overtime. Yeah, the OT winner from number 97, because of course it's Connor McDavid who scores the winning goal in the Battle of Alberta. So for all those McDavid betters out there, it was a sweet end to the night. Uh, tonight, though, just one game on the slate. And I'm actually kind of sad because there's going to be no more like two games a night really going forward, which is a bit of a shame. But Colorado, St. Louis, I am targeting the over once again here. It hit last game. It's an elimination game. Huso hasn't been great. Kemper wasn't great last game. Plenty of reasons why I think this game can go over six and a half on the total. And again, an elimination game, maybe you get the empty netter. Maybe you even get a bit of a more aggressive goalie pull. Let's say if the Avs are up by maybe too late, maybe St. Louis has that goalie out early and it could lead to some more offense. So I like taking over six and a half here. And for my player prop in this one, I am going to go with a Nazem Kadri assist. He has he, He's coming off a game where he didn't get one. And he hasn't gone back-to-back games without an assist yet in these playoffs. So I like Kadri to bounce back. He's hit it in two of his last three as well. And the payout of plus 120 is solid. I think there will be offense tonight, so I'm rolling with the over. And I like Kadri at plus 120. little plus money Friday bet for you. Kadri assist. And those are my two plays tonight. Frank. Tyler, well, less games, that means hopefully more people will be able to pay their mortgages. The last few weeks has just been absolutely insane getting through these first two rounds and all the action on a nightly basis. You've been on top of it all on our daily bet segment. Mike, that brings us to garbage time. What has caught your attention? What's caught your eye from around these playoffs? 
Well, you know, most people realize I'm a pretty social guy on the socials, on the Twitters and things. And, you know, I notice stuff. And every single time there's a controversial call in the NHL, you get the whataboutisms coming out left and right. You're getting screen grabs from four years ago, seven years ago. You're getting doctored images. You're getting all these things to try to prove a point that the NHL ruled one way in the past. So now they can't rule that way now. And like, just stop everybody. Stop with the whataboutism and just look at the one play that's being reviewed and take it for what it is. You can't look at past precedents. All you can look at is the rule book. And I know we just had that discussion about Coleman, and I think that was a big part of it because, you know, is it a distinct kicking motion? That's the hardest part to be able to decipher from that. But you can't look at something from three years ago when you're trying to figure it out. It's different. It's not the same circumstance every time. It just drives me nuts, Frank, because it's... People constantly want to justify what they see. They always think their team's getting screwed. Your team's not getting screwed by the refs. The refs hate everybody equally. I've been told that by ex-refs. Trust me on this one. There is nobody in Toronto that is against your favorite team. Yeah, I agree with that. I just think the debate is kind of what makes it fun. Everyone sees it through their own little prism, their own little angle. And when they share a clip on social media, that's also kind of the best part about social media. I'm at the game. I'm in the Saddle Dome. And I'm looking for the best angle. You know, maybe the TV broadcast isn't showing it in the press box and someone's got it on social media and I see it and I go, boom, that's it. That's the one. And so as as much as it can be annoying, I also find it at times to be really helpful as well. And so, you know, I just wish we would harness more of the good of social media because it does also bring everyone together, watching that same thing, adding their own perspective and something that you may not have thought of or seen unless you got a chance to view it on social. I'm I'm down with everything you just said, as long as we're talking about the one play at the one time. And I've been, dude, I've had the same time. I get images from people that I'm like, okay, that proves my point. I'm all in on that, but we just got to stay focused. Yeah, I, I, I agree. But when it comes to hits and stuff from the Department of Player Safety, like you have to consider precedent. You have to consider a player's past history, similar hits. Uh, nothing is quite the same, but like all this debate going back and forth, like I said, is really what makes it fun. It is. That's the way it should be, man. And we're still friends. And I like that. I like yeah, you, Frank. Exactly. Yeah, me too. Uh, Mike, <laughs> enjoy the game tonight. Game six in your hometown in St. Louis. As the Blues try and stay alive, the New York Rangers, same thing on Saturday. By the time we talk on Monday, things should be settled. We should have a final four. We'll see if that's the case. And wow, we're almost halfway home. The Stanley Cup playoffs, it's been incredible action so far in these first two rounds. The Edmonton Oilers and the Tampa Bay Lightning are through. We'll see what happens in the other two series this weekend. That'll do it for today's edition of the Daily Faceoff Show. I'm heading home from Calgary after a wild time in Alberta. Looking forward to getting home and getting back uh, in the U.S. And looking forward to seeing what happens next in round three. Uh, have a great weekend, everyone. Enjoy the games. And until then, keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com for all the latest news, insight, and analysis from around the NHL. Have a good weekend, everyone. Thanks for watching the Daily Faceoff Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.